This morning we are taking a break from our Elijah and Elisha series to look closely at the resurrection. Uh, we will be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, and after the sermon, our confession of faith will be verses 1 to 9, which are the backdrop, but for this morning's discussion, we'll, we'll start at verse 12. We're actually going to go to 26 and then pick it up again at 50 to 57. Um, we preached through Corinthians. It's been several years ago. I just, I just want to remind you that um, Corinth is a lot more like America than, say, Israel at the time because it had so many different nationalities. It was a place where people would go who couldn't fit into Rome. They could go to Corinth. It was a young city. They could strike it rich. They could make a name for themselves. It had all the accoutrements of what you would imagine in that kind of community. And the gospel, it did flourish there under Paul's preaching, but it got really mixed up. And they believed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, but as you're going to see, they didn't appropriate that resurrection to their own life. And I think that's a similarity we have with Corinth. Even though we wouldn't articulate that we're not raised from the dead, we would all say we are going to be raised from the dead. If we are Christians, we believe that. But I really do think for many of us as Christians, it's very common to have lost sight of the resurrection in daily life. So my goal this morning is for Christians to hear how to appropriate the resurrection for their lives. If you are not a Christian and you are tuning in, I love that. We want non-Christians to tune in, to see what our worship service looks like, to hear the gospel. And my prayer is you'll hear the good news of the music of Jesus' gospel for your soul, that he raises even the dead, that we have eternal life with him. So here now from 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there, are, there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he, was, that he has raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, all, we are of all people most to be pitied. But... In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. When, the, when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, I do commend to you the verses in between chapter, uh, verses 26 to 50, but for now, 
we will move to 50, the end of our chapter. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. And he quotes here Isaiah 25, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we praise you for Paul's being so clear that the resurrection of your son Jesus is crucial. It's, it's crucial, of course, for our future. But Lord, it breaks in even to the present. And I pray this morning, uh, as Christians who are struggling, uh, as we're trying to make sense of the craziness around us, as we fear not only the actual virus that's circling the globe, but the economic issues and other matters of anxiety or depression, other places of fear, other concerns. Lord, I pray this Easter morning we might find refuge in the truth of the resurrection. Lord, if there are those that are, that are listening in who are not Christians, I pray that their eyes may be opened, that they may see the light, that you have sent your Son to seek and save the lost. Lord, of whom we are and have been the least. There is nothing in us that earns salvation, but Lord, you give us faith. You open our eyes, and I pray you would do that this morning. Amen. Last night, we watched uh, the movie Risen. I do recommend it. It's not necessarily perfect for really young children. You need to be, be ready to process some of the violent scenes with them. Uh, we thought about watching The Passion as Eddie did, but we really thought, let's look at Risen, and I wanted to see, I just wanted to see the resurrection. In preparation for today, the movie is about, um, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection, but it's about a Roman uh, centurion, I think they call him tribute, uh, is that the right word? He's basically Pontius Pilate's like right-hand man, and first his job was to go and oversee that Jesus was actually dead, so he does that. He goes to the site of the crucifixion, makes sure Jesus is dead, makes sure his body's in the tomb. He, roll, he and his men roll the stone in place and tie up the ropes and put the seal. And he thinks his job is over. And then, of course, the resurrection happens. And now his job is to go find the body because the assumption is that one or many of the disciples have stolen the body to fulfill the prophecies, to create um, turmoil in the government, in the city. And so he begins to track down disciples and question them. Do you know where the body is? And there's a scene with Bartholomew where they bring him in and he's just, he is just 
and overjoyed. He, is, he, is, he knows Jesus has risen. He's excited about the resurrection. And he comes in, and, and this, uh, this Roman soldier says, you know, tell me where the other men are, the other disciples. And he won't do it. And he says, then you're going to be crucified. And Bartholomew gets on his knees and raises his hand and says, I'm okay with that. But then the centurion begins to explain the details of crucifixion. He says, did you see the crucifixion of Jesus? And Bartholomew's face drops because he was one of the ones that fled. He did not watch as Jesus died on the cross. So the, the Roman guard begins to explain the nails and the feet and the hands and the suffocation and just the gruesome details. And you begin to see his face change and you think, oh no, Bartholomew's going to go, he's going to turn. He's going to tell him, he's going to do what he's not supposed to do. And he says, but I will let you free if you will tell me where the disciples are. And he stands up and he walks over to his, the centurion and he gets very close to his ear and you just think, oh, I wish, he, I wish he believed the resurrection right now like he was believing it just a moment ago. And he leans in to whisper where they are and he says, they're everywhere. And he just smiles and lifts his spirits and goes out of the room almost skipping, and you just felt your heart overjoyed that he did it. He believed the resurrection. And it made me think as I thought about this sermon, like what I thought he was going to do, oftentimes we get caught up in the gruesomeness of our lives, the details of a, of a pandemic, of economic stro- struggles, of family struggles, and we really do lose sight of this resurrection that we believe in. And when we come to this passage we see just glorious, the glorious truth of the resurrection. Um, I want to remind you that Corinth, um, they had wandered so far. In fact, in the beginning of this letter, Paul is tracing out some conflict. One follows Paul, one follows Apollos, one follows Peter, one, and there's divisions. And he reminds them, guys, it's the cross that matters. It's the cross. So he begins this entire letter at the cross and he ends the letter, chapter 15, we're almost to the end, with the resurrection. And what Paul is saying is this, our faith has to have a clear view of the resurrection. That when we lose sight of it, we begin to be weighted down, looking like the Corinthians, looking like so many others. And what the offer of the gospel is, if we Bask in the gloriousness of the resurrection. There is joy. There is lifting up. There is peace. So that's my prayer for all of us this morning is that we would have a fresh understanding of the reality of the resurrection for our present lives. Three things. are The resurrection gives us our identity. It gives us our mission. And it gives us our power. So let's begin with our identity um, Paul begins this passage with placing our identity freshly in Christ's resurrection. You may have noticed verses 12 to 18 or 19 kind of felt choppy. When I started reading the passage, it's a chiasm. For example, in verse 13, Paul says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. That's, that's a chiasm. So that's, if you were going to mark it in an outline, that would be A number one. If you look at verse 18, he repeats it almost verbatim, or 16. So 13 was the beginning, and then 16, he says, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 
So every line gets repeated to the middle. But here's the phenomenal point that he makes that I want to draw out from these two verses. He is saying, you believe in the resurrection. The Corinthians did believe in that. They believed Jesus himself was raised. Paul then says, but if you and I are not raised, then Christ wasn't raised. That's pretty powerful. Now, how is that powerful? That's union with Christ. You hear it. He's saying it does us no good to talk about Jesus Christ being raised if it doesn't directly impact our lives. So, the, so our union with Christ is so strong that means our connecting point to him as his sons and daughters is so secure that if we begin to even doubt our own resurrection, we're essentially doubting his resurrection. Does that make sense? And so what happens for many of us is inadvertently, we continue to intellectually think Jesus rose from the dead and the tomb was empty, but we have lost sight of our own identity in the resurrected Savior. So we go about our lives focused on the here and the now, which then draws us away from the gospel of Jesus. Um, J.I. Packer has this great quote. He says, You will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there is a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. Let me clarify what he's saying. We will tell ourselves, I believe the resurrection. I believe this. I do that. We will deny our own struggle, our own sin, our own frailty, because part of sin is its own desire to deny that we are having it. He goes on, we are all on very good terms with ourselves. And we can always put up a good case for ourselves. Even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never do it. There is only one way to know that we are sinners, and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. So the Corinthians, I think, and ourselves can actually find ourselves in a place where we've lost sight of the resurrection. That means we begin to look at our flesh, our own doings, our own reputation, our own efforts, and have lost sight of Jesus, and yet at the same time, convince ourselves that we haven't done that. Seatbelts. I've used this illustration before, but I'll get in a car, my car, and I'll get someone in the front seat, and every now and then, not very often, there's that person who doesn't put on the seatbelt. And you, I, I'm astounded. Or I'll get in someone else's car, and the first thing I do, I clip my seatbelt. I have seatbelt righteousness. I'm gonna put on my seatbelt. And the reason is, I went through driver's ed, like many of you, and I saw all the videos of those dummies launched out of the car when the car barely hit its brakes. Now, I've never met a person who opts to not wear their seatbelt who doesn't believe that's true. They don't say, I don't believe those videos. I don't believe the science. There's just something in them, and I think in all of us, that thinks it won't happen to me. It's not true for me. I'm not one of those people. I'm not part of that statistic. And yet, equally strong is our inability to see we're doing that. So I'm begging all of us as we come to the resurrection to recognize if we're not careful, we can lose sight of it. And how do we tell we've lost sight of it? We lack in joy. We lack in excitement. We lack 
in freedom. Um, I warned Mark Tower I might use this illustration, so I'm going to use it here. He, he and Rhonda, he said that he and Rhonda, when one of their sons was in Iraq, they knew all of the dangers of being in the military, being overseas. And people would say, are you nervous? Are you scared? Are you worried? And, and they both would say, no, we know all the dangers. We, I was in the army, or, or I think Rhonda's father was uh, in the military. So they knew what they, were, what they were in for. But they said when he came home, when he returned, it was like this huge weight was lifted. They didn't even know it was there. Have you ever had that moment? Have you ever had a moment where you had no idea how much anxiety, how much stress you were under until for some reason it was removed and you realize all of a sudden the power that was within you? I've had that after taking an exam. Um, you know, you, I remember walking out of a final one time at Covenant Seminary that had just tons of essay. And I remember walking out and just thinking, I feel different. Like, I feel relief. I feel energy. My finals are behind me. I, I feel good. And, and I think my hope for us as we think about our identity in the resurrection is that's the offer. That offer is on the table for all of us. That we right now, by believing fully in the resurrection, can have that kind of freedom, that kind of lift. And that's my goal. So it leads us to our second point, the mission of the resurrection. The reason we want to live out of it is not just that our identity is in Christ and the resurrection itself, but in a, there's a mission it gives to us. And we see that starting uh, in verse 20 when Paul says, I want you to know that in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. And listen to the very next words, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What Paul is saying there is Christ fell asleep. He died. He rose, and that is the first fruit. What does that mean, agriculturally speaking, is that there's going to be more fruit to follow. And we are also going to rise like Jesus. And so that fruit of his rising flows backwards into us. And what it does is it wakes us up now in this present life to form a mission of the resurrection. Listen to what Richard Loveless says. He says, true spirituality is not a superhuman religiosity. It is simply true humanity released from the bondage to sin and renewed by faith to the Holy Spirit. So what we're having in the resurrection is a renewed mission to go into the life we've been given, into the acre, the garden we've been given, and attend to it. We reorder our affections to learn to love what God loves, to learn to care about what he cares about. Why? We'll talk about the power of it later, but the reason is we now have aligned ourselves with the resurrected Savior. In other words, the point of our lives is not about getting as smart as we can or as rich as we can or as happy as we can, but it's now about discovering the purposes for us that God has made in him. So here's an example Here's an illustration. What I'm wanting to illustrate is this. What does the future resurrection have to do with the present time for all of us? And the answer is this. If you've ever gone to the beach, but you decided, I'm going to go tan. Anyone done that in this room? There's a few people. No one's gone to the tanning booth. You know, you go and you go to the tanning booth a couple of times. Why? Because you don't want to go to the beach and just get fried. 
you're preparing your body by bringing the future sun that's coming to you at the beach into the present to prepare your body and your skin. That may sound like a strange illustration, but listen to what one uh, author says. He says, to enjoy God forever is to cultivate a taste for this project, to become more and more of the sort of person for whom eternal life would be sheer heaven. So the mission of the resurrection is to be so focused on the future that it backfills into our present life and it begins to infect us and change us in very real ways. Let me give you an example or an application of that. Uh, We're doing leadership training through Zoom and I gave the men an assignment and I'll give this really to the congregation. I think I've done it before, but I wanna explain what the assignment is. Um, it, It came out of a discipleship program called Sonship where one of the leaders, Josiah Bancroft, who's a PCA pastor, uh, he actually was going through sonship. He was given this assignment, and he decided to do it. And you've heard, some of you have heard this assignment. It's go to somebody you trust and ask the question, what in me is there, something about my personality, my behavior, who I am, that you would love to see God heal or change or fix? Like, how, where are areas I can grow? And the idea is that we need to assume, all of us, that though as Christians there are places that are being made glorious, there are roses and there are beautiful in our garden of life, there are those places that need to be dealt with. And so often what Christians do is we hide them, we cover them up, we divert people, we put signs that say, look over here and don't look over there. And we have so many ways we do that. So this assignment is to force us to go out to people and say, hey, look at the garden of my life and just point out some things, point out some blind spots. Um, And when Josiah did that, he started with his own wife, which is very, very risky. It takes a while to convince your spouse that this is safe because they're thinking there's a trick and they're going to get in trouble. So you have to be very, very honest. It's an assignment. I can take it. I've prayed up. I'm prayed and I'm ready to hear the critique please tell me. And his wife said, Josiah, you're a very angry man. And that really hit him because he's thinking, I don't lose my temper. I don't yell. I don't slam my fist down. I don't slam doors. I don't throw things. I don't. He doesn't do what you would call typical angry things. So he took her words, began to process them, and he went to one of his children, I think a, one of the spiritually mature older children, and he said to them, what, you know, what, is, what do you think when, with that about daddy? I, I have this assignment. I want you to tell me how do I come across anything that you uh, fear about me or feel toward me. And that child just said, daddy, you know, sometimes when you get upset, you just get quiet and you kind of go away. And he began to hear a theme in his life. So he goes to his secretary, and again, he convinces her, it's safe, you can do this, and she does say, yes, sometimes when I come to you and I, I'm not understanding what you want, you just get a look, and you get this, I sense a, an anger about you, and he realized after talking to all three, there was a part of his garden that had weeds, where the resurrection wasn't freeing it to hope in the future, but he was living according to his flesh in these areas. And so the point of that assignment for you and for me is while we are waiting for our final bodily resurrection, we are wanting to see the backfill of that glory come into our present reality to see fruit, to see our relationships change 
especially during a time of quarantine, when we're going to have more time with each other, it's a really great opportunity. In the movie Risen, there's a scene where uh, they've gone to Galilee to find Jesus again. He, he comes to Galilee. It's the, uh, it's the famous scene where he feeds the fish to them, and Peter has his time with Jesus. But this guard, this I want to call him a tribute, but I know I'm getting that wrong, so email me. He comes, and he has his moment with Jesus. And Jesus just looks at him and says, what do you want? Do you want peace? Do you want freedom? What do you want? And then he inserts the very line that we've heard throughout the movie twice. He says, you just want a day without death. And the man just kind of leaned back. Jesus is offering, he's offering those things. Like he is wanting us to experience the resurrected life, not fully until we go to be with him, but as but an increasing measure. So that's the mission of the resurrection. That's our identity, then our mission. So finally, we're going to close with the power of the resurrection. Where does the power come from? I want to finish that, that, that uh, Richard Loveless quote, true spirituality is not a superhuman religiosity. So you can't just look at that part of your garden, the part of your life that needs to be fixed and just through sheer effort, fix it, okay? He says, it is simply the true humanity released from the bondage of sin. What is he saying? What I have to do is find out where sin is creating the weed. I need to figure out where nurture needs to happen. The Spirit, and he says, the Holy Spirit gives you this by faith, an opportunity to notice the place where we aren't believing the truth of the resurrection, the truth of the gospel. And so we come back to our passage. I love what Paul does here at the end of, of this chapter. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, he's quoting from Isaiah. That seems to have all the implications of our future resurrection, which it does. But the entire premise of this sermon is that Jesus wants us to begin to live the resurrection presently. That's why in verses 50 to 54, he's talking about how when we die, we fall asleep. It's like we don't actually notice we die. Like you've, in a sense, as a Christian, already died. You're never going to feel death. You'll, you'll notice your eyes will close and you'll either, if he doesn't return first, you'll wake up in his, in his presence, in his glory. So there's nothing to fear. Furthermore, verses 50 to 54, Five tell us that all of the flesh that we put so much hope in is going to be swallowed up. That mortality, that's the bad stuff, that's the stuff that dies, will be swallowed up by immortality. So that's our hope. But listen to verse 56. Paul says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. What is he saying there? Paul is pointing out a very profound truth. Most commentators agree he's really summing up Romans 7 and 8 right there in one verse. We, if we're, we in our fallen nature try to find our value in how well we do. The law keeping we have. How well am I doing? How well do you like me? How, how is it going? Let me give you an example. If you've ever had a moment where somebody you thought was mad at you, 
tells you they're not mad at you, you feel relief. Nothing changed in the history of your relationship. They did, it's just that they're telling you, I'm not angry. And that frees you. And our justification is God's glorious way of saying, I'm not mad at you. I love you. I poured my anger out on Jesus. He faced the wrath. And now you are free. And so when the law ceases to condemn you, Romans 8.1, we can sing together, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And we have this lift. There's an Avet Brothers song that I've played for my family many times. It's very comical. The entire, it's, I think it's called Gabriella, but that's the name of the girl that he's, one of the brothers has been dating this female uh, and, and he's broken up with her. And so the whole song is, you know, Gabriella, I'm, so, you know, I'm sorry the things I didn't do. And, and he's really sorry the whole song and he feels the weight of letting her down. And, and then about three quarters of the way through the song, you hear a beep. And it's from an old answering machine. And you hear her, she's left a message for this, one of the two Avet brothers who wrote the song. And she says, you're so silly. I'm not mad at you. You know, people, people break up. People do these things. And she kind of dismisses, everything's fine. We're great. And then the, the end of the message plays, beep. And then you just hear a kick drum and this down, down, down. And the, and the two brothers just explode with the freedom of like, she's not mad at me. You have to go find this on Spotify. It's really funny. But that is a picture of the resurrection for the Christian. We live under condemnation and contempt. And yes, we sin, but we've allowed ourselves to believe that's how God views us through the lens of the law. And what, what Paul is saying in verse 56 is the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, what he is saying is, in Christ, you aren't a sinner. Do we sin? Of course we sin. But as Eddie prayed so beautifully, but that passion of Christ and the death he took on was for your sins past, present, and future. And so you are set free. And for Paul, that is the totality of the Christian life is lived in a resurrected life. So, what do you do with that? Here's my encouragement for our people at home, for our people in the room, for myself. Find an area where you're not feeling joy. Find an area where you're not feeling peace. What's a, find a place and just begin to pray, how would that change if I walked into the resurrection this moment? If we literally got up and just walked into eternity would we still care about that issue? And I don't mean to belittle the issue. It could be huge. Economics, health, family, marriage, so many big issues that weigh us down. But if we know that in eternity, that would be gone, ask the next question, why? What would be different? And when you begin to meditate through each of our issues, through the resurrection, it does backfill into the present. It doesn't mean there's no problems in this life but it means we're beginning to live on the basis of our resurrected life that we have now. So does that, does that make sense? Is that something we can do this Easter Sunday? If we can do it on one thing, we can begin to pray and meditate and do that around the entire garden of our lives, that the weeds would diminish and the flowers would blossom.
until our Lord returns or he takes us home. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the resurrection that you raised your son. Lord, I've meditated this week on some thoughts that not only did Jesus face so much in the way of earthly harm and pain to the point that the movie itself probably doesn't get it all. But what we've been told in the scriptures and what we believe to be true is that Jesus' greatest pain, Father, was that you turned your face from him for a moment. And that created in him an agony beyond belief. And yet your gospel teaches us as Christians that it will never happen to us. Even if we were to face a physical pain like his, we will never know that spiritual pain of your face turning away because we have a savior. We have a resurrection. So Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would apply that truth deep in our hearts. Teach us to go deep into those places that we're blind. Teach us to go deep to those places where we're still living out of the law, where we're trying to prove we're better. And let us rest and confess our sin and, and enjoy the truth that our righteousness is in you alone. Amen.